Hey everybody, this is uh, Dave Broadbeck, or as I'm also known, Dr. Dave Broadbeck. Uh, I'm also known as Batman. Okay, that one of those was a lie. Uh, the lecture you're about to hear is from a course called uh, Psychology 3106, Animal Behavior. And I hope you enjoy it. Talk about sort of classical and opera. You know, you know what classical and opera condition is. Y'all know that stuff. But what here, how do we define learning? A definition that I like is one that Robert Rescorla, Bob Rescorla uses, which is some event at time one influences behavior at time two. Okay? Time one obviously comes before time two because it's a smaller number, I guess. Now, obviously. You can say, well, does that mean if I cut off one of your feet and you can't walk, you learn something? Does it change your No, it means you're being pedantic and shut up. Um, and it means probably you learned that I'm very mean and I cut people's feet off. No definition is going to be perfect, but this encompasses like classical conditioning. This encompasses opera conditioning. Right? You know, classical is CSUS, so that's like buzzer, meat powder. It was not a bell, it was a buzzer. Buzzer, meat powder. So you get salivation. And then opera conditioning is like, you know, peck a key if you're a pigeon and you get food. Right? So that's stimulus response, you might want to call that. Both of those, I guess. But it also encompasses very complicated things. Um, learning where food is on a maze, learning where uh, chicken is stored in seats, uh, learning where your territory is, right? All those things together. Yeah. And human language. All of these things are covered by this definition. So it's as good a definition as any, and it's probably better than most. And it's very simple. So you have classical conditioning, as I said, and operant conditioning. Uh, as the two sort of ones we tend to think of when we talk about animals. There's a, there's, there is a difference, right? One is the animal was presented with both things and then has a response. On the other one, that's classical conditioning. So that's, again, uh, like a, a CS and a US. Uh, condition stimulus meaning, oh, I don't know, how about a buzzer? Unconditioned stimulus, oh, let's say meat powder in a dog's mouth. Unconditioned response, the meat powder in your mouth is salivate. Conditioned response eventually is when I just give you the buzzer, you salivate if you're a dog. Though that works for people. And I can prove it to you right now. Pizza. Notice how you started the salivate. You can't not, it, it, it just, you're hooked up that way. By the way, the function of the sal salivary reflex is it aids in digestion. There are enzymes in your saliva, they break down starches. And if it's something you treat, try this, you're trying this, you take a piece of soda cracker, unsalted soda cracker, put it on your tongue, and just let it sit there for about 90 seconds. You can then taste how it's breaking down the uh, Okay. By the way, you know all those cutesy pictures you see of Pavlov ringing a bell and the dog salivating? The dogs actually were harnessed in and had tubes drilled into their underneath their stents to collect the saliva. So just to let you know. Just to spell it. It was 1903. Oh yeah, he's just gonna pick it. He's gonna ring a bell and collect spit. That's what he's doing. Alright. So that's operant conditioning. Oh, no, sorry, that's classical. Operant conditioning. Um, animal has to do something, and if it does the right response, it gets a reinforcement. Right? The animal doesn't have to do anything in classical conditioning. The animal has to do a certain behavior in operant conditioning. But they both 
don't seem to involve associating things yet. One of the key things of sort of a, I don't want to say classical, because that makes it sound like classical conditioning, but the traditional, let's use that, the traditional approach to learning is to say that there is what's called equal potentiality. Equal potentiality simply means that anything can be associated with anything else. Given enough time and the right skills, you can teach a pigeon to play ping pong. Just through reinforcement. And in fact, BFC did this. He did actually teach a pigeon to play ping pong. Because he had free time, I guess. Um, also, he taught pigeons to, quote, have a conversation where one would peck, one kid said hello, the other would peck, a kid said, how are you? I'm fine. Very impressive. By the way, B.F. Skinner, who comes across kind of as a weirdo, was apparently a super nice man, so just want to get that out there. And he developed some great methods, all that stuff. Now, we know today that that is kind of horseshit. I mean, there's no way that I can teach anything anything. In fact, we know that from, a, from, a, from very so a few interesting things. The Brelands, Breland and Breland, husband and wife team, they took their knowledge of uh, operant conditioning and took it into the world of marketing and advertising in the 1960s. So imagine an experimental psychologist shows up and visits Don Draper. Nobody watches Mad Men now? Okay. So they would train animals to do window displays at stores and stuff. And they, trained, they tried to train a raccoon to be in the, in the, in the window of a, of a bank and to put coins in the bank. Raccoons look like bank robbers, right? It's very clever with the mask. See, in the 60s, people were stupid, and that would make them go to a bank. So, and at first it worked. People walked by going, oh, it's so cute. Can I open an account? But very quickly, the, the raccoon's like, it takes the, it's a fake coin, a big, like, wooden nickel kind of thing. It takes it back. Goes to put it in, takes it back, and then just rubs it. So that didn't work. They said, well, geez, that's slow. What about a pig? Oh, even better, a pig with a piggy bank. People will want to have mortgages with our bank now because we have live pigs. This actually happened. I don't understand the logic. But anyway. So they trained, and a pig learns to do it. Pigs are pretty bright, also delicious. So they learned to do this. The problem that happens is the pig starts taking now the coin and instead of putting it in the bag, starts like just moving it around with its nose and with its snout on the ground. You know what they're doing? They're, they're, they're treating the coin like it's food, aren't they? Both those two animals. You can't get a raccoon to store food. Raccoons don't store food. They do kind of wash their food. Oh, they're clever. Pigs root around, right? That's their thing that they do. So that was even shown, you know, that's what, 60, 61, so that's what, 59, 54 years ago? Last night I'm posting on Twitter about how excited I am about NHL 18. Then I also followed up with, I'm also a grown man. I'm 52 years old. Um, it was great, though. I played a game. If, if the Vegas Golden Knights are as bad as they are at NHL 18, they're in for a long freaking year. I'm just saying. Um, so this is actually, it makes complete sense to us, right? It's like you can't teach, as I mentioned the other day, uh, in fact, the very first day, you can't teach an animal or human language. It just doesn't work because they're not hooked up for it. Equal potentiality be damned, right? But this is a classic idea. Um, people have often wondered, and this is the comparative psychology angle, which animal is smarter? 
What's the smartest animal? I get asked that question a lot. Human being. Hmm? Human being. Well, we're pretty beyond humans. Which ones? We're pretty exceptional. That's exactly, yeah, exactly. Taylor nails it. It's a stupid question. I was asked this question once. You know how they have the Discovery Channel has that the thing where they say people write in questions and they talk? Well, one time somebody wrote in and said, or called in or whatever, emailed, faxed, I don't know, semaphore. I don't know what they used. It was a long time ago. They went to the smoke signal. It was 1998, so probably was the smoke signal. 98, 99, somebody wrote in and asked, uh, can you find out what's the smartest animal? So the Discovery Channel calls me because I don't know. I'm early in the alphabet. <laughs> no, I think they went to, there's a guy who maintained, used to maintain a list of scientists who study animal cognition. And I think it was the Canadian Discovery Channel. So they went to the first person they found in Canada. And my name starts with B, so it was probably one of the first ones. That actually answered their phone with an email. And the question I asked was, what's the smartest animal? And I said, well, Clark's Nutcrackers can recover 30,000 seeds in a 40-kilometer radius, but I've never seen one drive a car or build a civilization. In other words, they can do things you can't do, but that doesn't make them smarter than you or not, or dumber. It's a ridiculous question. Um, people ask questions like, about serial position effects, long as took memory with me, or short and long-term memory in rats and pigeons. Sort of classic human things. And there's an implicit and sometimes explicit question here, um, right? And you, I think you can see it. The question is, I wonder if they can do what humans do. <coughs> if we took rats and gave them a list of words, <coughs> no, really, that's basically what you do, except it's a list of items. I'm not saying it's bad to do serial position work. In fact, it's pretty, very good basic psychology. I'm saying, why did they start there? And in fact, it almost seems a sensible, sensible question. Note, again, the snark. Um, but the basis for that question is, is, a, is a flawed understanding of how evolution works. Because if we're saying, can they do what we do, why? Here's a question. If we're asking, what pigeons, can pigeons do what people do? If we're going to look at this from a real comparative angle, from an evolutionary angle, shouldn't we say, what's the co a common ancestor between people and pigeons? I don't know. It was a long time ago. So we must be at the top of some evolutionary ladder. Campbell and Hodo said this in 1969, and uh, we mentioned that uh, in our paper, in that list uh, from the Frontiers articles there. So it's, we know that that's incorrect, that it's not a ladder, it's a tree, it's the tree of life which is better than the ladder of life anyway. Ladder of life just sounds stupid. It's the ladder of life. I don't know what I did, what that was. I was I, emoting. Acting. Genius. I am nothing if not a thespian. Lambs thou art in Cardor and shalt be what thou art promised. You know, that's actually a Lady Macbeth speech, which really shouldn't be done with a deep voice like that. But. Now you guys do that. When I was in high school, we had to memorize parts of Shakespeare for like no reason. Do you still do that? Well, I did, but we didn't have to memorize. We were allowed to, we were allowed to read it. We still had to Okay. I just didn't understand like why, like what the purpose was. I was recalling what I asked my English teacher, like why are we doing this? I said, I get reading Shakespeare. This is great stuff. It's exciting, and there's action and intrigue. And why do I have to memorize it? And he just chewed more nicotine gum and just sort of looked at me. Because that was like 12 English teachers. He's an ex-pop. He used to just stand up there chewing nicotine gum. So weird to think that almost all my teachers are like dead. 
Sorry about that. Okay, so that doesn't work properly. And asking that question is a silly question. But learning psychology, comparative psychology, if you look in that article that I sent you guys, that's how a lot of people, including the guy who writes the Target article, actually seem to look at things. But there's no talk, there's no goal to evolution. It's just wrong. The question is, a better sort of evolutionary question is, what has driven some species to, to solve a certain type of problem? In other words, like, what selective pressures have caused the evolution of different learning systems? Or cognitive mechanisms, if you want to call them that. Asking what species is the smartest is a silly question. It doesn't get you anywhere. If we want to know about, I want to answer this kind of question, we have to ask what species are different on what kind of learning task, right? That makes sense? That's a question we have to ask. We have to choose species for these experiments, we have to choose tasks for these experiments. Um, so how do we do these comparisons? Well, let's say we compare two species on some task. I don't know. Uh, it could be, what's a classic here? Oh, an eight arm radial maze. You know about the radial maze? It's a maze that has a central platform and eight arms that radiate out from the center like the spokes of a wheel. He said, directly quoting Olton and Samuels in 1976, because everybody cites it all the time. The only paper I know that I can actually give the full APA citation because I've cited in almost everything that we're in. Said thousands of times. Great art. You get food at the end of each arm, rat goes to different arms and gets the food, but they don't go like clockwise or counterclockwise, like you or I would do. They go in sort of semi-random fashion, except seven of their first eight choices are correct. Great. So rats are good at that. Uh, let's put pigeons on it. We're gonna put some pigeons on it and try, and that's been done, of course. So we're gonna compare two species on some task. But you know what? Let's not make it rats and pigeons. Let's make it rats and mice. Okay, that's better. And what's our reward going to be? Oh, I don't know. Uh, what do you want? What do you want to use as our reward at the end of the arms? Cheese. We all think cheese, right? Cheese. Rats love cheese. I know that. I've written. I was a co-author of a paper where we fed rats uh, cheese. I've also, my honors thesis, in 1988, I, rats were reinforced with, co with, with cow chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> they were. I eat all, I eat all the marshmallows and the rats got <laughs> But what if rats like, let's say rats are better than mice. Just, I'm, pick, I'm just, I, I don't know that would happen. In fact, it probably would, probably be no difference. But let's pretend. What if cheese is more, like rats like cheese more than mice do? What if everything cartoons is told you is wrong and that mice don't like, don't like cheese that much? Then it's a motivational problem. It's like, well, yeah, I could go there. I don't care. It's cheese. Cheese sucks. I want Cap chocolate. So it could be a motivational issue, right? So Bitterman um, had this idea that what we could do is we would compare species on a task and use all kinds of different reinforcers. OK, now for the weird part of the class where your professor gives himself eye drops because he has them every two hours. Steroids. Steroid eye drops. I am actually on steroids. 
I'll, I'll look away so you can actually watch this. They're like a godsend. Notice how I can open my eye? Even that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's great now the infection's in the inside of my eye now, so um, the outside's all cleared up. And now it's moved in. Awesome. So I take these for a month. At that point, I will have had an eye infection for most of my adult life. <laughs> all right. But they're great. I just... How many other podcasts, listeners, do you hear people take eye drops? That's the kind of content you're getting. And what did you pay? You paid nothing. So these guys paid hundreds of dollars for you here. You're getting this for free. Okay, so that seems sensible on the surface. Uh, I'm going to argue in a moment that it's not. Um, McPhail, Ewan McPhail, uh, who's, uh, I think he's Scottish. Yeah, Ewan McPhail, I'm pretty sure he's Scottish, actually. Um, he says that, listen, this is something that you don't like this argument. In science, what do we start out with a null hypothesis, though? Right? There's no difference between two, well, two species, let's say that. Right? And then we have to, to just, we have to reject that. Yeah? So, if there's no difference, there's an issue, though. Every time we find a difference, could be motivation. So we've got a, another variable that we could, uh-oh, damn. Boy, that makes this, the future for comparative psychology bad. Like, why even try? Right? Now, Al Camel, there he is, which looks like an, an Arabic name, Al Camel, but actually his name's Alan Camel, um, which never occurred to me until I looked him up one day, and I, apparently there was a really famous guy named Al Camel. There he is, holding a Clark's Nutcracker. Al Camel is awesome. I do a very good impression of Al Camel, which gets me nowhere, but it's a good impression. And when I go to conferences, people say, do you Al Camel? Yeah, he talks, uh, he talks like this. He's got a very a good Massachusetts type of accent. And he doesn't choose on cigars. He does not smoke them, he chews them. He doesn't smoke. He had a heart attack, I think, a long time ago. So he just has these cigars and eats them. But he just has his mouth. It's Strangest thing. What a smart guy. When I first, my first, uh, first big conference I went to as a grad student, I had read his stuff, the stuff I'm about to tell you about, and it literally inspired me. And so I'm with my PhD supervisor, Sarah Shuttleworth, and she says, uh, well, come have breakfast with me. And I, I said, great, yeah, sure. And I sit down, and she says, this is Al Campbell. And I felt like I was meeting Bono or something. <laughs> I was like, you're that guy. <clears throat> that was kind of fun. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's wonderful. I wrote his Wikipedia page. Anyway, Al says there's a bit of a flaw here. What you're doing, Ewan, Oh, I never did that before. That was pretty good. Um, is you're setting up an hypothesis you can't reject. Because if every time I say, oh, rejecting the hypothesis is motivation. Oh. So it's logically, what you're doing is making science impossible. Okay? So you, this is the question that you would ask is, well, Al, how do we fix this? And the way you fix it is you test many, many closely related species in many different paradigms. So instead of just testing rats and mice on the eight hour radio maze using all kinds of different food, we test them on all kinds of different tasks that are, say, this is a spatial-loaded task, obviously, a spatial tasks and non-spatial tasks. And then we maybe not just test, test mice and rats, maybe we throw in some other rodents. We should be able to make some predictions in advance about what the difference will be. Instead of like, I wonder what will happen. Because for like a hundred years, comparative psychology was this. I wonder what will happen if we test these two and see what happens. 
It was like a race. It was like a constant thing. Like, guess what? Tested, uh, tested bats and walruses. Same task. Walruses win. Publication. Like it was all. Was it wasn't quite that? It was all. It's close. So it's funny because the I think the comparative psychology that Abramson in that article is lamenting going away is comparative psychology done incorrectly. It's done in the like I wonder what these two can do. I mean I'm obviously making a bit of a well that's not man a uh, eh he's man. <laughs> So what Al Camel says then is to, if we find similar patterns of differences in many tests, motivation can't always be the culprit. Error cancels, right? It can't always be, like think about this. If you get, let's, I'm gonna pick something and I'm not saying it's true. Okay, so let's say that Maria always gets better grades than I did. Let's go with that so we can okay? Let's say we're both in university, and I'm not actually paid to stand up here. I'm actually just some, some in class. Except I'd sit right up there so I can see something. <laughs> now, if Maria beats me in this class, that's fine. And if she, would you say Maria's smarter than me? No, not necessarily. If she also beats me, what's another class we're taking together? Let's make one up. English literature. I never took English in university. I figured I'd never be visiting England. <laughs> so, and then I did. <laughs> uh, and I actually once had to put on an accent so someone could understand me. It was great. I said, can I have a pint of bass, please? And a couple of guys, I don't understand you, Yank. And I pointed at my lapel pin that had a maple leaf on it. I said, can I have a pint of bass, please? <laughs> he said, oh, right, sorry. <laughs> OK. And then he also goes, right, sorry, also, we like you. Um, so she beats me in English literature. Yeah. What if it's something like that? That's two classes. And then she beats me in sociology. That's three classes. And then we look through our transcripts, and she beats me in everything. Can we swear to It can't just be that. Dave doesn't like English. Dave isn't motivated to do sociology. Um, Dave isn't good at animal behavior because he's afraid of animals. I don't want to shit up Dave isn't motivated here. Dave had a bad year there. No, if in 40 courses Maria beat Dave, Maria's better at school than Dave. And that's the same thing here. If these two species keep showing the same pattern of difference, you can't say, well, it's just motivation. No, that seems exceedingly unlikely, right? Does that make sense to follow? Okay. Hey, yep. I think I'm just a little behind on what you mean by motivation. Well, motivation, well, I'm, I'm, motivation would be like uh, liking a food more or less. They're more or less motivated. So it's like situational response then? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it can't always be, we can't, it's like you're making an excuse every time. And that's what I was doing there with Dave doesn't like sociology. Okay. Oh, Dave isn't any good. Dave can't read English. So, and he also says, let's look at the life history of the animal, let's look at its biology, its neuroscience, and psychology, let's look at the whole animal. Not just as a test subject, but as a, a biological thing. What a crazy idea, right? Let's look at what sort of differences should have evolved because of its life history, because of the environment it has evolved in. Let's look and see differences we would expect and let's, let's, let's actually hypothesize they will exist rather than wonder which one of these two species runs faster. So actually make predictions in advance, which is a crazy idea. So it's a crazy novel idea. Let's make predictions. So here's a few examples. 
the foos, the foos, the foos one. Is the food story good? Uh, first one's the food story, bird story, it's hard to say. And a lot of you know this. You've heard me talk about food stories, right? The food story, songbirds store food in the, in the fall and winter and recover it during the fall and winter. That's their, that's their food supply. They don't, and we saw last time about how Anderson Krebs modeled that they must be recovering their own seeds. And that, so how do they recover their own seeds? Well, they probably would use memory. And that was shown. We, know, we found that they recovered their own seeds, right? Sherry, Avery, and Stevens. I talked about the radioactive pine nuts the other day. If that's the case, that they recover their own seeds, and they're using memory, it should be memory for spatial locations. Because Local cues like color, like the color of a leaf, it's going to disappear. In fact, in the winter, there are no leaves. They get blown away. Or the, the landscape actually changes because of snow. But that line of trees over there, the line of trees is going to be there. So what they should be good at, food stores compared to non-stores, is remembering where food items are in three-dimensional space. Should they be any better at remembering the color of things than other species? No, not really. We shouldn't expect any difference. We should expect almost random differences in, say, color memory. But we should expect very clear differences in spatial memory. Okay. And in fact, that's pretty much what you get, especially in the corvids like the Clark's Nutcracker that Al Campbell was holding there. Um, the more the animal stores, food, the more an animal, uh, like a species stores food, more relies on stored food, the better its spatial memories. However, that has no relationship whatsoever to any differences in memory for color. There are differences, but they're just scattershot all over the place. So, Dave. Yes. Um, what about sort of food storing in squirrels? Because they don't necessarily store food. They just they have that innate tendency to bury it places. No, that's called storing food. That's exactly what that is. That's they're they're scatterers. Yeah, yeah. But like they don't they don't remember where they yes, do. They do. Yes, they do. Oh, I don't remember. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, store food. I thought I just forgot. That's how you get random trees. Places like, like chestnut trees. Well, no, that's true. What's the function of it for the squirrel? Is to store food, have it layered in their stuff, stuff eaten away. So it's not surprising that squirrels do this. We should also expect, if we have storing and non-storing squirrels, we should expect a similar pattern. Or squirrels depend more or less on sort of food. We should detect the sort of suspect a similar expect. It's a speck word anyway. Similar pattern of differences about spatial memory. In fact, we do. We find that Lucy Jacobs found that out. Jeez. Is there a lot of storing squirrels? Uh, there are squirrels who store less than others, I think. I think so, it's gray versus brown or something. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I was also curious, so how would it affect the memory, let's say, my family, we feed the squirrels in our backyard. <laughs> We've been doing so for, I'm going to exaggerate and say 10 years. How would that affect the memory? Like, obviously, it's not a Well, you're, you're, you're actually killing impact. <laughs> 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 You're killing you're, you're destroying species, and uh, people like you make But uh, no, really, how would you affect it? Probably not a whole lot. Yeah, because uh, it's like no. small, because it's not, if, if it's small, like 100 it years of feeding squirrels. If it was, or, or, yeah, if it was 100 years, and those squirrels stayed around, you might end up with a, a sub, weird subpopulation of squirrels that weren't as good at spatial memory as your standard squirrel. But then, that's going to be a long time first. Is the hippocampus size relative the same as in the birds? Yes, sir. Yep. There's a hippocampal difference. Hippocampus in food stores is bigger than it is in non stores. They've compared the two schools, like the ones that store more versus those that don't? Uh, pretty sure that's familiar. Yeah. Pretty sure. Lucy Jacobs is now. I'll email Lucy after She's super, like, really smart. She's Stanford or Berkeley? One of those cool American schools in California. That's not saying I don't like it here. 
think it's awesome here. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, California. Did I just get sunburned? I don't really want, I'm happy here. Do I get sunburned? I honestly don't know how people live in places like that. I really don't. Like, I go to this conference in Florida every year. Like, I go in March, and you get there, and it's oppressively hot. And it's like, I don't want to be here. You got to walk like this because parts of your body touch. It's gross, you know? Uh, yeah, so also, uh, the food stores, they remember spatial locations at the expense of remembering color. Uh, spatial information overshadows yeah. And that's, again, and that's stuff I did. That's something one person who wasn't me once called the Broadbeck effect. It never caught on. So sad. It would have been neat. My name now goes down in history as that guy who swears a lot on the internet. Um, <laughs> Just like every guy on the internet. So the food store is a great story. There's a hippocampal difference. There's a lifestyle difference. And we can actually look at you know, within um, family, the family Paris, the parrots, that's your uh, chickadees and titlers. You can look at marsh tits, which are British black cat chickadees. They look just like black cat chickadees, like they, except they have like British accents. So chickadee DJ. That's all it is. It really it sounds the same. And then you compare them on a memory task to uh, another bird that's closely related to the same family. You compare them to gray tits, which are non-story birds. And you're laughing because I said gray tits. I know that. No, I'm um, Oh, Chris, you're laughing at that? Okay. OK. Usually I get some snickers when I say gray tits. Don't. Gray tits, blue tits, cold tits, marsh tits. Uh, it's, you know. Willow tits, Siberian tit, titmouse. Titmouse, yeah, titmouse, 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 very nice. It's a good story. It makes sense. And the prediction was made in advance. The cowbirds are great. Unless you are another bird and the cowbird shows up and lays its eggs in your nest, then cowbirds are just vicious. Because um, female cowbirds lay their eggs in other species' nests. That's not very nice. Nature isn't nice. And then, <laughs> they're horrible, right? They're, they're totally adapted for this, cowboys. Such that the females, so the cowbirds, uh, their eggs hatch about a day before their host nest eggs. So they show up earlier, they grow faster, so they're bigger. They get more food than the actual uh, host, the host's uh, offspring. Isn't that something? So you understand how this works, nest parasitism? You show up, you, you lay eggs in some other species' nest. You don't make your own nest. Oh, it's just basically they can detect. This, this is an interesting cognitive question. You have to know what kind of nest that you're dealing with. So when you're flying around, you have to say, that's a robin's nest. And oh, it's got eggs today. When should I lay my eggs in that robin's nest? That's a very complex cognitive question. Now, it's not like the cowboys plan on thinking that in English, but it has to make those calculations. So it has to recognize species, it has to recognize when the eggs were there, when they weren't, so that you see the egg. And then, after so many days, it goes away as its eggs. When the mother is out and the father is out, sometimes they both go to foraging. You sneak in, you lay an egg, and you leave. 
And he was confused with the problem. So... <laughs> no, no, it's really weird, is it? Yeah, so then how does... What do the robins do when they come back? Because they see, they're like... Do they know, hey, this one's not mine? It's interesting because the question... This is the question, right? And also, when you see a cowbird, they're huge. They're, like they're just bigger, they're stronger, everything about them. And the question that many people have asked, the evolutionary question is, why haven't, say, Robin de developed a mechanism to detect cowbird eggs? Well, the theory right now that has the most backing is, has been called the Mafia theory. And it's basically like this. No, really, it is. That's where it comes from. It's like the Tony Soprano theory, right? So, and in fact, the paper I read did it mention the Godfather or the Sopranos or both? I mean, it's something like that, anyway. So, we cited the paper I ever mentioned, right? Literally mentioned one of my favorite TV shows. I'm pretty sure it was a Sopranos reference in the paper. And the idea is that there's an implicit threat of if you don't feed me, I'm going to kill your children. So just feed me. So they're just kind of like, oh, pretend nothing's going yes, on. Yes, exactly. And then it'll be fine. Yeah. Once you catch on, then you're screwed. Well, yeah, it's, it's like the, um, you know, the soldier who comes back from uh, being away, uh, deployed, and he comes back, and his wife and girlfriend has had a baby, there's no way it's his. Oh. And, you know, that happens, right? And the guy's like, well, okay. And <laughs> he just yes. goes on, right? So, <laughs> no, it's the same. It's literally the same thing. Except it's not a different species, but it's literally the same thing, right? This is this called? So, <laughs> so, it's the soldier thing? The cowboy. I've never heard of that. Really? Not even like Instagram movies? <laughs> it's not nice. People do things that aren't nice sometimes. So then, does the mommy cowbird ever come back to nope. the baby or the baby? Nope. So then the baby doesn't like adapt to, uh, let's say, the robin. It doesn't take on robin qualities. No, like, uh, no, it's a cowbird. <laughs> and they know just to like do that, but to keep doing that, get older. Well, no, yeah, they're built that way. Yeah. Oh. Animal, yeah. So, with the parents know to lay their eggs in specific nests. This is this is where we have the psychological question. The mother has to know where nests are. She has to know the state of nests. Mm -hmm. Father's done. We should expect the sex difference here, but the opposite one that we also always get spatial abilities, we should expect females to be better at spatial tasks than males in cowards. They are. We should expect females to have bigger hippocampus than males in cowards. We should expect cowards that have more, they're more generalists, in other words, they, they parasitize more species. We should expect them to have better memory than ones who parasitize only one or two species. What a beautiful story, except for the part about, you know. So what is the... Uh, Sorry. Okay. No, okay, uh, fine. Curtis, and then we'll go back to I'm just curious, you know, based on the mafia theory, yeah. could it not be more of like a cost-benefit thing? It doesn't really cost them too much, so there's no need to adapt to the... They're getting fed, they're, they're feeding another animal first, another species, not just another individual judge something that actually is possible. Okay, but do they recognize that? Oh, I'm sure. They recognize the species. Yeah, there's a person. Yeah. So that's a lot of people. And like, yeah, that's the thing. No, it, 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 it's, it's probably the best, it's the best explanation I've read. I'm not even sure I'd buy it, but it's the best thing I've read. People try to figure out what you read, cost-benefit analysis, the bird, the other bird is making is, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? Getting? I mean, I've got to feed this thing, because if I don't feed it, it might kill my young. And but also, how, how does it know that? What do you mean, like, has it... Because maybe a past experience, because we know from what they will do is they will kill one of the... Cowboys are huge. Are we talking about the parents, or... No, no, the kids. So the shades of that many friends. The kid is the one doing the... Oh, yeah, they're real bastards. I mean, that one's a horrible animal. Except for the bird. No, that's it is a question that I don't that like I said, the best thing I've heard is that mafia theory. I don't know of anything else, but Mr. Go ahead. 
what bothers me about the theory is that yeah. the baby's born, they look at it and be like, well, that's not mine. I'm yeah. feed it to me and my kids. So I'm just going to toss it out of the nest. Can't my kids, but still. I can toss it out of the nest, except oftentimes the cowbird young is bigger than the, the adult parents. Like they're big. So then, how does the nest hold the egg? Oh, it's no, oh, but they're not. I mean, they're not the size of me. But it's still, I mean, if, it's, if it's hatched and it's already bigger than parents. Oh, the egg, in fact, looks more like an egg than the other eggs do. And you're saying, huh? Because there are certain characteristics of eggs, for example, that make it that make an animal that uh, make it so an, uh, an adult can recognize that it's an egg, and if it leaves the nest, it can go back and retrieve it. Yeah. But cowbird eggs are more egg-like than, say, Robinson's. But the babies are freshly hatched, still they're huge. Parents. I'm going to find a picture of a cowbird. Fine, just somebody look up a cowbird nest. I have a picture of Robinson's egg. OK, now look up a picture of a cowbird, of a cowbird young. Yeah, cowbird, it's a mouth that's bigger. Yes, twice the size. Yeah. Like, they're not small. It's like, it's not the size of a cowbird. Yeah, that's right. So they feel that they can ruin people's lives more. <laughs> 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 this strategy will only exist if you're big or strong. You can't do this. It may sound like a silly question. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think I should do it. I doubt any cowbird parasitizes a nest from a species bigger than it. Cowbirds aren't parasitizing eagles. <laughs> the bully theory. <laughs> So this is a great story because we make predictions in advance. Cowboys are actually now used just in regular uh, cognitive experiments because people know so much about cowboys now that you can actually now just why not just use cowboys? Now voles, you know what a vole is? Yeah. They were in Zootopia. One was like the godfather. <laughs> you know, a buddy of mine was one of the consultants in Zootopia. Um, okay. You got about a, there's small animals, voles, but they're vicious, by the way. They're horrible, horrible animals. Uh, I know a guy that works with voles, and he wore a chainmail glove when he would take much of their cash. Because they just go grab on your hand like bite the palm of your hand off. They're horrible little things. Dave, real quick, it's just a question, yep. not to get off topic. No, no, I, yeah. I was thinking, remember who you're talking to? I'm getting off topic. So I remember reading, so I was like, oh, have you ever seen a hamster out in the wild? Is a vole basically a wild hamster? No, hamsters uh, live um, in the Middle East. So voles are very small, 40 grams. Okay, so if I take, there's there's two base, there's two two voles. There's the pine vole and the metal vole. And I know this sounds like a Beatrix Potter thing. Sort of, right? And then the pine vole met the meadow vole in vole town. They each enjoy tea. But What's the difference? The pine vole is monogamous. One to one. The pine vole believes in traditional marriage. <laughs> Couldn't get that out with a straight face, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so pine vole, one to one, pair body. Metal vole, the more traditional polygonous thing you get in, in mammals. One male. And he's got a harem. And that harem, each female has a different den because she slaughtered her young. Now, when she slaughtered her young, and he's young too, he has, he has to bring food. Right? He's got to bring food. So, what's he going to do? He's got to go all around the meadow and bring food to her, right? The pine vole does that 
two, except he's got to only go to one dead. Guess who has a bigger hippocampus because he has to remember more uh, metabol? Guess who's better at memory experiments, the meta spatial memory of meta versus body, of course. So we can make these predictions in advance. Comparative psychology. Assume that the gen sort of a general process of learning. That all learning is roughly the same in all animals. Sorry, is there a difference between the female and the male and the male? Oh, no, no, only the male. Just the female. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. the females obviously don't have to go over no. this stuff. That's right. They don't have to go around unless they want to yell at each other. They're just very, you get away from my man. You get away from my man. That's what it is. It's not like a full reality show. Big okay. <laughs> full love. The HBO show, I guess. Sister Bowl's sister. Yes. Sister Bowl wives. Oh, I'm going to break that down somewhere. Is this very, I'll give you total, I'll totally give you credit. But I'm going to use that at some point in my life, and I will give you credit. I totally will, because it's very good. Sister Bull, it's just wonderful. <laughs> I really like that. Um, Someone needs to make a t-shirt. Oh, so, so, it's got to be like, you know, this, this season of TLC, right? Polygamous bulls have many wives. And then you can have a show about the... the, the, the the Cowbird Mafia, right? Like that Amish Mafia show? We got a whole new network we could start up here. <laughs> Sister Volwives. That's actually a pretty good name for a band. <laughs> really, right? Probably an old woman, kind of a thrash punk thing. I think it would be, that's what I'm thinking. Thrash, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's good. I'd buy, their, I'd buy their music. All female. Yeah, sure, sure. It's all women, I think. Yeah. yeah. All women? No problem with it. That'd be good. One guy. <laughs> That's the roadie. See, so the general process learning says that all learning is the same This, These predictions here, these sort of different situations here, clearly show us that it's not just that. Now, I'm not saying there are general processes to learn it. I'm not saying that everything, everything ever tested is shown in classical mission. Every animal species tested. From nematodes, the simplest animal with a nervous system has 302 neurons. 302, we know what each one does, we know what every circuit does, and the genome's good. Nematodes are figured out. N-E-N-A-T-O-D-E, not T-O-D. It's not like a toad. It's a millimeter long and it's a word. Again, I mention that because I once wrote T-O-A-D on a test. In a, in a class not unlike this. 20 odd years ago. 30 years ago. My God, that'd be 30 years ago. Yeah, so I wrote, I wrote this. Uh, Nemo toad. See, because I can't see, and they didn't have notes online back then, so you just, I just wrote down what I heard. It's the same time, in a different class, you know L-Dopa? I've told you the story about L-Dopa, right? The stuff is used for Parkinson's disease, but I called it L-Dopa. <laughs> 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 just like a, like a probably some kind of, if I was to become a matador, that would be my name. <laughs> and next up in the ring, L-Dopa. <laughs> I really need a guitar sound I can put into the podcast right there. Okay, good. It's still on this time. Okay. All right. So there's got to be general processes, but there are specific things that happen to you. That's, that's basically what all this is saying. The idea that it's all general processes is silly. Right? 
kind of crazy. One of the things we talk a lot about in an evolutionary approach to animal learning is modularity. And this is the idea that learning is modular, that cognition is modular. There are different, well, what's a module? It's a good question. They're kind of like cognitive organs, okay? Or systems. I kind of like the organ idea better than system. They, they operate by similar rules such that they're all neural mechanisms, okay? And we should have, we should expect modules to exist for things like space in any animal that moves, so almost every animal. We should expect a module for time in any animal because you have to be able to keep track of time. And in fact, we should expect that these things work roughly the same within the general, but then get tweaked, which is what happens, let's say, with the cowbirds. We should expect a module for number, because animals have to keep track of how many. Think about the cowbirds again. How many, how many uh, eggs are in there? So the question you want to ask, and these are ones that I think we would all agree, this makes sense, right? Time, time goes on, that's how things work. Things are in different places, and they come in with number. We should be able to process those in that kind of manner of any complexity. But when should a new module evolve? When should we get new modules? So when we discuss how humans have language. Yes, that's a great, I think there's a linguistic module, yes. Yeah, so you can't train a rat, so that's just a module that they may never develop or just have yet to develop? Well, I mean, it's not have yet, they just don't. Okay. We, we can't worry about the future, we just, you, you just can't break. All you can say is that humans have language and nothing else does. And people often say, well, you can teach apes sign language, and my first thing I'm going to say is, that's not entirely accepted that that's what's happening. And a lot of people will tell me that it's not the vegetation, but they've learned something, but they're not doing language. What about dolphins? There is some stuff about being able to put symbols together with uh, ideas, kind of, or with objects that happen. So you mean that they have language when it's not? No, it's not language, because what language involves syntax, and that's what they don't have. There's no grammar. So they say that they have different dialects. Oh, no, that's different. That's, that's communication. That's not language. Communication and birth songs. Same thing with the ghost, though? Sure. So yeah. no other species has a Has, has clearly definitively So there may be communication Um, There may be. I mean, here's an example. Let's say we have some, let's think about communication. Let's think about bird song. So when you hear birds singing, it's has a lot of different functions. One of them is a mating function. One of them is a defense function. Okay, but usually when you hear birds singing, usually it's just males. Some species females sing, but usually it's just males. And when they sing, they're singing to, mark, to, to, to say, get away from here, this is my territory, and also to say, hey, baby, look at my territory. Uses, this is where you want to be. You can tell I was pretty slick with the women when I was younger, right? <laughs> no. To quote George Costanza from Seinfeld, I know less about women than anyone in the world. So you got something, you have to learn that song. You have to learn a species-specific song. Because what use is it if I'm going to sing a song if you can't understand what it is? So you have to know, if you're a, a, a white-throated sparrow flying around, oh, that's another white-throated sparrow. If you know that if you're a male, so it's somebody else's territory, or if you're a female, it's like, oh, white-throated sparrow, excellent. He sounds virile. I don't know. I, again, I have no idea. So you have to be able to learn a song. It has to be species-specific, but you have to be 
it might be the case that you want to be able to detect kin. You might be able to detect animals from the same part of the world. And in fact, there are different dialects of bird songs. So there are somewhat different sounds in what we're experiencing in one region than there are another. So the, 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 the song itself isn't just stamped in forever. It is, by the way, colors because they don't learn any other song. But in sparrows, it's a different story. Would that work with classical or opera conditioning? Probably not. You probably would have something special, like a bird song, a song learning what? So when it, a new problem presents itself, that's when a new module should evolve. Okay? When a new problem presents itself. So a lot of the ideas about animal cognition have changed, and animal learning, let's talk about animal comparative cognition here. See those t-shirts on it? Say CO3 on them. That's the Comparative Cognition Society. We have the Conference on Comparative Cognition every year. That's why it's CO3. And we talk about all these kind of things now. Very few people still get up and go, so I compared slugs and lizards. Here we go. Because the first question somebody's going to ask is, um, why? Why would you expect X or Y to happen in this situation? All right. Any questions or anything? Okay, so, so far this one is pretty good. Oh,
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>